of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello, everybody, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, we are back for another hour or so, uh, probably probably more on the snow side. Um, what are you doing, sir? That was very noisy. <laughs> I know. I just realized my mic was uh, way up in the air, so okay. I a bit of noise. That, that does explain why you sounded so far away when you said your name. But uh, yeah, so we're here for an hour or so of movie talk. We got our patented after the ending. We got some film discussion. We got a top five list. We got all kinds, sort of a top five list. We got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Right, Phil? We have, we have. We got uh, the usual, the usual film talk, the usual recommendations, the bits and pieces, the the little flights of fancy, and who knows what else. That's right, right, exactly. A little bit of everything. And if you've uh, joined, if, if this is your first time joining us on the video, if you're watching it on Facebook during the live uh, broadcast, you can also leave comments on the Facebook post, and we can see them as you leave them. We can flash them up below, and we yep. can comment on them. You can join the conversation. That's so, right. Uh, we like to do typing, that. If you're watching and uh, anything takes your fancy. Yeah. If you're, if you're watching, definitely leave us a comment. We'll throw it up on screen. We'll talk about it. We'll call you out. We'll, we'll make fun of you. No, I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, yeah. We always like to have some interaction with the viewers. So Phil, why don't you tell people what we are discussing in tonight's episode? Yes. Well, first of all, we'll be going after the ending of 2001's Shallow How. Well, hang on. So, yes, we are. But we should back up a little bit, right? Because oh. we thought, okay, it's February 1st, which course, means yeah. that Valentine's Day is going to happen before our next episode, right? So we thought this is kind of our unofficial Valentine's Day episode, right? Yes, that's right. right. Yes, so now back on track. That's why Shallow Hell, because it right. it's a romantic comedy. Yep. It's the one that stars Gwyneth Paltrow and Jack Black. Uh, directed by the Farrelly Brothers, which are also in the news today because uh, one of the guys, one of the Farrelly Brothers, is doing a new film with Woody Harrelson called Champions, all about mm. the Special Olympics. So oh. that's, uh, that came up in between us discussing doing this film and that. So I like to say we're on the cutting edge, but this was just pure happenstance. <laughs> right, yeah, right. that's the one. We're going after the ending of that. Then we're also going to be talking about the recent trend in horror films to do sequels, which are kind of remakes, but they're not. Are they called re? There's a term for but like a reboot sequel kind of thing, which also have the same name as the original film, because that's mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah. And maybe we'll talk about the new kind of horror franchises, even though there don't seem to be that many anymore. And then we'll be talking about the top five films we last watched. Yep. Which really, just to... the last five films we've watched. We're gonna yeah. we'll explain that, but we kind of this is our chance to sort of talk about some movies that might not come up on the show otherwise. And actually, I think today's my list today definitely qualifies uh, as that with a number of them. So. Yeah, so anything can come up there, and the one rule is we have to stick to our guns, and it has to be the last five films, yep. no matter what they are. Yeah. Good, bad, or ugly. <laughs> yeah, and very true. Uh, and we will also be uh, doing our usual after the ending recommendations, where we talk about other things, whether it can be films, TV, music, board games, anything and everything, comic books, whatever has taken our fancy over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so that's what we've got coming up for you this evening, this morning, or whenever else you're watching it. 
That's oh, right. And I realized that now that we've said all that, that the only thing about this episode that's even remotely Valentine's Day is that we picked a rom-com to talk about. We didn't do like our top five love stories or, you know, top five romantic comedies or anything like that. And our discussion is about horror movies, which I guess, depending on how you feel about Valentine's Day, could be appropriate, you know. Yeah, you, it's gonna it's gonna work for some people. It won't yeah. work for others, but you know, yeah. there's a mix and match. You gotta get a bit of everything for everyone. That's right. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start off with, as always, our after the ending, and let's go after the ending of Shallow Hal. So let me recap the film for those of you who don't remember it. Shallow Hal from 2001, written and directed by the Farrelly brothers, starring Jack Black, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Jason Alexander. Here's the story. Hal Larson. He's a shallow guy. He keeps hitting on beautiful women and getting rejected. At a seminar with Tony Robbins, Tony hypnotizes Hal so he only sees people's inner beauty. Not believing he's been hypnotized, Hal falls in love with his boss's daughter, Rosemary, who he sees as slim and beautiful, even though in real life she is obese. While she thinks at first he's making fun of her, eventually she realizes his feelings are real and they start dating. But when Hal's friend Mauricio breaks the hypnosis, Hal begins avoiding Rosemary and eventually they break up. But a bunch of things happen and Hal begins to see people for more than their physical appearance. And his friend Mauricio reveals that he tried to break them up because he was jealous because he has a tail. It's like a vestigial tail. Uh, and it's prevented him from getting close to a woman or women in general. As Rosemary prepares to leave on a 14-month mission for the Peace Corps, Hal goes to her goodbye party and professes her love for her. She takes him back, but says she's still going on her Peace Corps mission, for which Hal decides to accompany her. So they ride off into the sunset, and Mauricio meets a woman who loves dogs, giving him hope as well. And that is Shallow Hal. Yep, it, that's, film. That, that's, a, that's a movie that happened, yes. <laughs> I feel like sometimes that's all you can say about certain movies, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's what is it, 11, 12 years old now. No, it's 21 years Oh, old. yeah, 2001, you said, yeah? Good yeah, God. 2001. Oh, I know, this, this film is legally old enough to drink, depending on what month it came out in. Wow, so, crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the recap. Phil, how, how do you feel? Do you have an opinion on Shallow Hal? Uh, I find it. It's one of those inoffensive Farrelly Brother films. Okay. Because it's, uh, it was, it was a, a nice romantic comedy with a bit, a bit of the Farrelly Brothers. Uh, I don't I was going to say magic, but that's not the way. But a bit of the Farley Brothers kind of stylings uh, in there. But it's, it's, I enjoyed it at the time. I haven't seen it in a long, long time. But I like, I like the concept. I, like, I always like Jack Black. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's, maybe I should revisit it to see if it holds up. But uh, it was never, it was just one of those films I enjoyed watching at the time. Right. Yeah, what about you? Uh, you know, largely the same. I've never been a big Farrelly Brothers fan overall. I, they've made a few films I do like quite a bit, but not the popular ones. Um, the ones that everyone else likes, I don't I don't care for. Um, I think this film is perfectly fine. Honestly, I think the last time I saw it was when it came out. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters. I may have watched it like once on video when it came out because I think I was working at a video store at that time. Uh, and that's about it. So I, I kind of didn't really... I mean, I remembered it, but not like, you know, the nuances. I, I, I agree with you. My, it's one of those films I'm... I'm curious to rewatch because i think it could either be like hey this is way funnier than i remember or like ooh, this is kind of painful um yeah yeah you know it doesn't it doesn't seem to i don't think it's a movie that get made nowadays right because you know now in, we're into an age of you know body positivity and and these types of things and i and i don't remember it being overly 
rude to people who are overweight necessarily, right? I mean, that, I think the gag was meant to be more on Jack Black than on Gwyneth Paltrow. That's right, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure there are a few, you know, to put a fine pin on it, you know, fat jokes in there, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. I don't think it would it would make the rounds today necessarily. But um, yeah, I think I, I seem to remember thinking it was funny enough and, you know, enjoying watching it. And I, I think that's kind of about it. Yeah, that's it. Some of those films just uh, just like that. It's some of them past the time of day. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And then sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's all you want. You know, not every exactly. film wants to be one for the ages. But I know people remember this film. I can tell you that. Um, you know, one of my classes I teach in my day job. There's an activity I do where I try and have people guess a famous movie, and the one that I use is not Shallow Hal, but everyone guesses Shallow Hal every time I teach that class. Like it's clearly a film that people remember, even if it wasn't, you know, like a mega blockbuster. I think it did pretty well at the box office, but um, you know, it's not one people maybe people talk about all the times. It's not a like, yeah, critics. Yeah lists and stuff but it is certainly a film people remember so uh makes for a good after the ending yeah it's a goldilocks kind of comedy there you go there you yeah. go so uh let's get into our endings then shall we yeah do you want to kick things off i will why not all right so here we go 14 months later hal and rosemary returned to the u.s after having visited nine different countries on their peace corps journey they were stationed in Morocco, Thailand, the Ukraine, Fiji, and Costa Rica, among other places. While in these countries, they spent a lot of time learning about the local cuisines. And when they returned to the U.S., they decided to open a restaurant called the Hal Mary. Get it? <laughs> Get it, right? Because it's, it. it's Hal and Rosemary, but it's like a Hail Mary, but Hal Mary. Okay, thank I you. I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So among the exotic dishes they serve there are borscht, ceviche, pad thai, sheep's head, and of course, Fijian babacow for breakfast. <laughs> Those are all real dishes. I looked them yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> I did my research on this episode. Rosemary is continually trying new diets, but Hal always reassures her that he loves her no matter what, and she doesn't need to lose weight for him. When their restaurant becomes a raging success, Rosemary starts an online cooking show, eventually developing an entire brand all about eating healthy and positive body image. She plays around with some names and eventually settles on good old organic food or goof. <laughs> Thank you. Little, I knew that would need a second. <laughs> Hopefully people pick up on that. All right. Goof goes on to become a multi-million dollar health and beauty empire, focusing on creating products for people of all shapes, colors, and sizes. From time to time, Hal reflects on how he used to be shallow Hal, and he is happy when he thinks about how much better his life is now that he's learned to accept people for who they are. And that's my ending. Excellent. It was, it was worth it for the goof. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I like that one. I wanted to have a little fun with that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't have a big problem with Gwyneth Paltrow or anything like that, but I, I did like working that in. So uh, if you guys don't know what that's about, go Google, Google, no, not Google Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow and her company, and it'll make more sense. But yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. Just ignore the bit about the jade eggs. Cause I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, know. don't Google that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that was my ending. Phil, let's hear what you came up with for Shallow Hal. Okay. Well, the 14 months in the Peace Corps involves hard work, but both Hal and Rosemary find it incredibly satisfying. It continues Hal's growth into a warm, compassionate human being. And meanwhile, Rosemary does begin to lose some weight as she realizes being morbidly obese could see her dying at an early age. And she realizes she wants to live a long life with Hal. Plus, it means she can keep doing worthwhile projects and help more people. Both of them finished the 40 months a little bit fitter and healthier. Not much, but a little bit than when they started. Seeing the impact that the Peace Corps has, had his experience getting together with Rosemary, 
Hal has an idea. People often don't see all the beauty and wonder around them. And people and companies litter, pollute, and more without realizing or ignoring the impact they have on the world. So Hal and Rosemary begin work on a non-profit organization called Rosemary and Time. <laughs> I like that. The aim is to reconnect people with the world around them. It starts small, but the but the passion Hal and Rosemary have for it is contagious and it begins to have a positive effect. Some of the practices and initiatives include Be Kind, Rewind, Clean Up, the Sliding <laughs> Doors Travel Plan, the Tenacious D Music School, the Nacho Libre Food Drives, Kung Fu Panda Nature Reserves, and Heat Vision and Jack Road Safety. <laughs> Some of these have long-lasting effects throughout the years. Many businesses work alongside them to ensure the impact they have on nature is minimal. Also, they find that... The, Sorry. Also, the world finds that the Sliding Doors Initiative is thought to be the key factor in stopping the spread of a small virus in 2019. <laughs> so in the end, Rosemary and Hal have a huge impact on the world just by starting small and seeing the beauty within each other. Very nicely done. I like it. Nice, nice positive message, but also some great meta references in there for fans of the movies that I like. So Thank you very much. well done, sir. Well done. <clears throat> All right, there you go. So that's a couple of different endings for uh, for Shallow Hollow. I think we both sort of went in the same direction, which I think kind of yeah, speaks yeah. to the speaks to the point of the movie, right? I feel like that's kind of you know the message you're supposed to take away from that movie. So I, I feel like that was okay, but uh, it went then some very different ways there. So uh, nicely done, nicely done. All right, <laughs> so there you go. That is uh, Shallow Hal. Those are our endings for Shallow Hal. Uh, that's as romantic Valentine's Day as we're getting for this episode, but happy Valentine's Day if you're listening to this before, near, around Valentine's Day. Um, and now we're going to talk about, you know, bloody murder stuff, apparently. So Yeah, because it's it's what the kids are into these days. Right. I think, I believe. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> um all right, so I have affectionately titled this segment, Phil, for our you know our ticker across the bottom there. I have affectionately titled this. Here we go. Horror remakes, yay or nay, which is maybe simplifying it too much, but I don't care. I just like the way it came out, so that's what we're going with. We don't have to give it a yay or a nay, but that is our topic, right? Horror remake yeah. slash reboot slash reinvention slash reimagining. Yeah, that's the thing. Rehash. Yeah, it all it all came up because uh, the trailer for the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which doesn't have the at the start, and the chainsaw is all one word, as it should be, but the original film didn't have that. But yeah, right. the new trailer for that dropped yesterday, which is a continuation of the story, and it's set so many years after the original, and Leatherface has been in hiding, but he comes back, and the final girl from the first film, her character, is coming back in some way. But there's a whole new group of teens who are trying to, you know, on social media, trying to cancel Leatherface or something. I don't know. The trailer <laughs> kind of intrigued me. It also made me go, eh. but uh, that's what sparked this whole thing. Because there's been lots of them we had. There's the Halloween films. There's the, we had Scream 5, which is called Scream. I think we discussed this a few weeks ago, why they keep doing this. This is one of your pet peeves. It is definitely one of my pet peeves, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try not to go off on that too much today because I yeah. just discussed it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but it's uh, we had uh, we've had Can New Candyman, mm -hmm. and all of these films are like a continuation, but also a reboot. And we had oh, we also had Spiral, which is a the continuation of Saw. Yes, that was from last year, the year before. And there's a new Hellraiser film coming out. 
And yes, so that's the current state. So what are your thoughts then on all of these remakes? remakes? Well, um, I have I have a few thoughts, actually. Let me start with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer, because I did watch it. Yeah. I felt largely like, I mean, first of all, there's so many Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, like, you know, and they just changed them by taking words in and out of their titles, right? <laughs> like there was Texas Chainsaw, there's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and there's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I think there's going to at some point just be called like Texas Massacre or like Texas Chain or Chain Mass. I don't know. But um, I watched, I, I felt the same way. You know, it's it, what's interesting about that one to me, and I'm not I'm not trying to throw shade because it looks like it could be a, a decent film. I'm, I've never been a big fan of any of the chainsaw movies uh personally um is it seems like they really just decided to completely rip off the halloween formula right yeah you know it's it's halloween and halloween kills the two most recent films basically ignored all the other films that have come between and picked up you know 30 years later and this is really just doing the same thing it is it is basically like set in the same universe as the original film i love i love that they're bringing the original girl back. I think that's awesome. You know, but then I was like, Oh, but that's just kind of like what they did with Halloween, right? Like she's back. She's been waiting for it. You know, she's when she says in the trailer, I've been waiting for this for 50 years. And it was like, okay, that's cool. But it is exactly right out of the, the Halloween playbook. Yeah. You know? That's what I picked um, up on as well. Just, you know, 50% more chainsaw. -y, you know, <laughs> so, um, but it looks, I, I did think that the part of the end part of the trailer was fun when he's on the bus and everyone pulls out their cameras and is videoing him, you know, thought that was, that was kind of, um, you know, clever. I, I enjoyed that. But um, so I'm a little bit. I'm of two minds on the horror sort of remake, rehash, reboot thing. On the one hand, I totally get it. Right. You've got these established franchises. You know, they're going to make a certain amount of money. You know, fans probably want to see them more. So it doesn't make sense to just stop making them. Right. I mean, the last two Halloween movies have made some pretty good money at the box office. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, that type of thing. I, I totally get it from a pure dollars and cents uh, standpoint. I, I get it. Um, some more than others, right? You know, Candyman, like, I don't know. Did we really need another one of those? Like, I like the original Candyman, but it, it was never like, like a great franchise. You know, it was like one good film and a bunch of sort of yeah. straight to video. Yeah, it was a good story. Good self-contained story. I felt with the Candyman. Yeah. I don't understand why we can't get a new Friday the 13th movie. It's been like nine years and they just can't seem to get that out of whatever licensing. Well, there seems to have been some movement on that. There was a, one of the, one of the many legal battles around. It seems to have been agreed by mm -hmm. some of the parties. So that it looks like that's slowly moving forward again. Right, right, right. Okay. That's good. And I guess, you know, it's, it's not like you can say they aren't trying to develop new horror franchises, right? We have the conjuring universe, which has been incredibly successful. That's true. Um, I think it's now considered actually the highest grossing horror franchise of all time, largely because yeah. they've pumped out so many of them and they all make a pretty decent chunk of change. Uh, and I'm, not a huge fan of that franchise. Um, I guess I wish that there was more successful ones that were trying different things. You know, I've, I've mentioned before uh, when we were doing our top 10 last week uh, or last episode that I'm a really, really big fan of the uh, escape room movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I had that written down of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really love them. I think they're a great, very current modern feeling horror film. Um, and and they did you know the first one did pretty well the second one didn't do so great and it, it kind of bums me out that like you know that franchise probably won't continue but we're going to probably see texas chainsaw massacre films until we die you know what i mean um so I, you know you can't entirely blame audiences because they have made the conjuring films popular but then you're also like you know 
do we need to just keep rehashing the same old thing over and over again? So I don't know. I kind of, I kind of waffle on it. I guess sometimes it really, uh, maybe I'm, it comes down to how much I like the franchise they're doing it. You know, like, do I want to yeah. see more Halloween movies? Sure. I love Halloween. Do I want to see more Texas Chainsaw Massacre films? Not really, but I'm not a big Texas Chainsaw fan. So take that with a grain of salt, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, cause it's, uh, I really like the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, but the, uh, the others just, just ends up getting silly, more the same as these often do. Uh, but I, as you said, it's done the same thing as with Halloween, where it's ignoring many of the sequels and going back to the original in some aspects. I don't know exactly how much of the sequels are being ignored in the, the new Chainsaw film, but right. definitely with Halloween, they did just uh, ignore them all. And it's a shame because the one film that was going to do this as well, which seemed to be maybe the, the seed for all of this, was when Neil Blomkamp said he was going to do a sequel to uh, Aliens. He's going to ignore the other alien movies and he's going to bring have uh, Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bean, and Newt have them come back. He's going to follow straight on from them and they weren't going to die as we saw at the start of uh, Alien 3. Right. And I think that's um, sadly that got shelved, that it didn't come to pass. But I was wondering whether that was his plan of doing that was the thing which kickstarted uh, David Gordon Green and about with the, the new Halloween films to just go back and say, yeah, we can just ignore all these films and go back to. The, the thing that started it all. That's the good stuff. Right. So let's do that. But uh, it's just, I think if they're done well, uh, which I, I kind of like the uh, the new Halloween one. Not Halloween, I actually did like Halloween yeah, Kills. I thought that worked, worked quite well. And I like the way, I mean, obviously there's always in these films, always what you go, well, that's not, why? That's It doesn't work for me. But on the whole, I quite enjoyed it. The, the recent one, though, was the Halloween Kills. Yeah. That just... Oh, that just I, that had potential, but it was evil dies tonight. Evil dies, and that just kept throwing me out of it all the time. See, it's funny. I feel the opposite. I did not like the first one at all. Yeah. Well, not at all, but I didn't really like it very much. The, the first one of the of these latest two, but actually, Halloween Kills, which I had very low expectations for, I ended up enjoying quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because my expectations were low, or yeah. I, mean, I think I, I think honestly, what I really liked was how many of the characters they brought back from the original films. As somebody who's watched those first, you know, eight films a hundred times, um, you know, seeing so many of the characters come back and even some of the original actors come back, I, I really enjoyed that, and so it gave it, um, it it felt more true to the originals than than the one before it did to me, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that's me you know i also but i see i feel like they made a mistake there and i guess part of the problem i have with this whole i don't mind the ignoring the crappy movies thing right i, I really don't mind that um i think the aliens thing would have been brilliant here's my problem the with the halloween movies they picked the wrong movies to ignore you know they ignored everything after the first film but and i, I guess it was because they didn't want to do the whole michael myers in, in jamie lee curtis or brother and sister thing but first of all there's nothing wrong with that Second of all, you know, by doing that, you cut out Halloween 2, which is a perfectly good film, and more importantly, Halloween H2O, which is the second best film in the entire franchise after the original. Um, and I just don't think you needed to erase things that far back, which, as I've pointed out before, the problem, the biggest problem I have is when you take it back to just the first film and then he comes back, you know, 30 years later and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's the boogeyman, Michael Myers. It's like, well, no, he only killed four people. Yeah. that original film like that's not even going to make a blip on today's radar i hate to break it to you guys that's like a barely a headline on the on the six o'clock news right it certainly isn't like this guy the whole town is afraid of you know you've got eight movies of michael myers killing people over 30 years yeah then he's the boogeyman but meanwhile it's like oh who michael myers some dude who killed three teenagers you that's know, an 30 years point, yeah. ago yeah. like yeah. 
it's not that scary. So that that was a, to me a big misstep because I felt like it was like, oh, why is everyone so afraid of this guy? He, he's barely going to know who he is, you know. Um, so I think that's sort of is like you have to be careful with this retro continuity thing, the retconning, you know, um, because I think there's a lot. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, but the thing is as well, some of the uh, some of these franchises can continue without ignoring what's gone before. I mean, because the Hellraiser story, the whole concept of that with you know the the box and the Cenobites coming, that can be as they did with lots of the sequels. It can be set anywhere and anywhere. Some of them work quite well, some didn't. So you, you don't have to be a slave to the previous characters who've opened the box and done that because you can just have oh the boxes turn up this time. Hell, it could be a, a TV show. I'm not even sure if there was a Hellraiser. No, there wasn't. But anyway, the Hellraiser, you can do that because, because of the concept. It's just the box, and it's somebody gets it, somebody opens it, boom, right. there you go, right. uh, which has got many different possibilities. But I do fear the new film will just end up rehashing the first one again. But you could also uh, – I find it surprising there's been no talk of a, night, a new Nightmare on Elm Street again. Mm. I know we had the, re the revamp, didn't we, yeah. a while back with Jackie L. Haley. Yeah, but, uh, I'm surprised with all this going back to the the originals. They haven't said, "Can we get uh, Robert Englund back?" back right, the, right. Uh, yeah, one last time he might be. Too I think old. I think a Freddie one because that was especially as it went on. It was always becoming more tongue in cheek and meta. Yeah, especially with a, a new nightmare. Mm -hmm. You could that's uh, that seems out of all of them. A nightmare on Elm Street seems the one most suited to doing these remakes as we're seeing now. Yeah, because like, yeah. the commentary because Freddie can often comment on what's going on, and as he's in people's dreams, he's just going to carry on forever. Yeah, it would be interesting to see a, a more modern updating of him with you know cell phones and internet and TikTok and all that stuff. Like, what would he, what would the dreams be like? What kind of stuff could they get up to in them? You know, yeah, yeah, uh, that would be interesting. You know, I think and too, I, I think I mean, it can be done. I you know, I don't, I don't think there's not room to continue some of these franchises. I thought actually. Uh, Candyman. I saw the remake of Candyman. It was a really interesting film. I didn't like it very much. Um, but there's two things about it that I, I did really like. One, it had the best cinematography I've ever seen in a horror film. It was like somebody was out to win an Oscar for cinematography and just happened to decide to do it on Candyman, which is very <laughs> interesting. I mean, a really amazing camera work. Yeah. Um, but I did like sort of the way that what they did was they sort of, they, you know, the story comes about from this guy who's sort of researching the legend of Candyman. So he's sort of researching the events of the uh, original Candyman, and then also the events of the first movie. So they refer to the first movie a lot, but it's clearly taking place 30 years later. It's clearly all new characters. You know, I guess that's my question is like, you know, how many more times are we going to get Jamie Lee Curtis back? I love Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, but also it's like, can we not just do Michael Myers just killing people in Haddonfield? Like, does it have to be a continuity thing? Like, at some point with some of these horror movies, can't you just move on and be like, hey, we're going to do this, and it's the same character you know, it's not really a remake, but it's just further down the line. He's still just killing people and yeah. it's new people to kill. I don't know. I feel like sometimes that could work too, but maybe that'd be terrible. I don't know. Yeah, we know it'd be nice they could do. What was that comic? There was one uh, with the woman who's going around hunting all these slashes. If you could have some... Oh, Hack Slash. Hack Slash, yeah, something like that, because you could almost have a... It'd be great. I know it's different studios, though, and it's just some... If you could actually yeah. have a shared universe of these these slasher kind of things, mm -hmm. I think that that'd be really good. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be, the I mean, we saw it in Freddy vs. Jason, which is one of my favorites. I love Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, I, I remember there was a comic, was it Evil Dead versus Freddy versus Jason or something as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not a lot of the mashups in the comics, but they're never yeah. as good as the movies. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I say that something like that. Fan. I mean, that's if you could, if you get some of these together, some of these iconic ones together, I mean, it'd have to be, as it always comes down to, if it's a really good script, if it's a really good story, no matter what the thing is, it's going to be, it's going to work. 
Yeah. And as we saw with like it was a Jason X, you can just go ludicrous and just have it be up there. Right. And it can still right. be fun. Right. And even there was a Hellraiser one, wasn't there? It was set in space as well, but that wasn't I as think fun. so. That was one of the non-video ones, I think. Yeah. I guess it's just interesting to me how they, they've been able to do other horror movies successfully, but we haven't really been able to get any new slasher franchises going. And yeah. I don't know, you know, the slasher is kind of like, aside from when they bring back these classic, like, Texas Chainsaw and Halloween ones, the genre has sort of fallen off the map. And I don't know why they haven't been able to, no one has been able to be able to create kind of a new Michael Myers, Jason... Freddy, you know, like it's like the horror universe only has room for three iconic slashers. No one else yeah. has been able to create, you know. Um, Adam Green did the three Hatchet movies, and yeah, that looked like Victor Crowley. Crowley. Yeah. And I enjoy those movies for what they are, but they never really, you know, took off. So yeah, and there's the Child's Play. We got because Chucky's right, back on. Right. He's got the, Chucky's got the TV show now as well, so Chucky's still got legs. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I guess it's I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting conundrum. Like I guess it's it's you know you're trying to satisfy the old fans and and get new fans. And I think that's probably that's a harder. Like we can talk about it, right? Yeah. And say yeah. you know, oh, well, this is what I would do, but you know, we're not the ones putting millions of dollars into it. So I guess they have to sort of consider that stuff, and it could be harder than we think. Um, okay, we have a comment. Oh, yeah. I just realized. Let me go ahead and pop that on screen. It is from regular viewer Richard Brown. The Thing remake could have been good, but never be the thing. Descent is one of my favorite horrors. Descent 2 is really summed up by the only scene most will remember. In short, be original or try to improve on bad films which have potential instead of feeding off the fame of masterpieces. Richard, I have actually a surprising amount of thoughts about your comment. <laughs> Phil, before I go off on a tangent, do you want to say anything? Yeah, well, uh, the thing, as it's, it's a prequel, but yeah, pretty much it is a remake. I quite like some of it. I like the idea. And I watched it, I think, last year. And I enjoyed it a lot more on the rewatch than I did the first time I saw it. Still mm -hmm. wish, still blows my mind. They did all the damn practical effects. And you see the behind the scenes videos, they they had it all there making it stuff. And they went, the studio went, nah, let's just CGI over all that. And you go, mm -hmm. why? And there's deleted scenes of the uh, the pilot or the engineer on a ship, on the ship, which would have been great. So there was, a, there was potential. I think the act, there was a real, I think there was a really good film in the thing prequel. But it, studio interference sort of messed it up. But on the whole, because the thing, John Carpenter's The Thing is my favorite film of all time. So I was, you know, think I was going to go in. I went in going, well, I'm not going to like this. But I, when I first watched it, I went, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And the second time I've gone, well, that's okay. I enjoyed it. Descent, yeah, Descent was a really good film. Didn't need a sequel. Uh, yeah. Use uh, in short, be original, try to improve on bad films, which is usually the, the best the thing they should do because they never try and remake or reboot the crappy films, which is a, a shame. Right. Because often there's like, often all the, all the bad films is often like a, a kernel of something really good in there, a good concept, a good character, which could work. But the uh, the way it was done originally, just they just fumbled the ball. Yeah, but go on, Mike. What's your, what are your? Well, I, I no, I mean, I just, I, I just have opinions on these films, and some of them I actually watch. I just watched The Descent too, like maybe a month ago. So it's just funny that you know, okay. if, this, if we'd done this a month earlier, I would have been like, yeah, I don't remember it that much. I just remember that I liked it when I first saw it. But um, I actually agree with what you said, Phil. I, I same thing with the Thing remake or prequel. I first time I saw it, it was like, yeah, it's okay. I watched it again maybe a year or two ago. I thought it was actually really good. I think it's a really good horror film. It just isn't the thing. It shouldn't be called the thing, or you have to just accept it for being a subpar ver it's never going to compare to the the carpenter thing because it's one of the greatest movies of all time right and you yeah. knew it wouldn't live up to that but i think it, on its own merits it's actually a quite an 
enjoyable, if formulaic, you know, alien horror movie. But I, I find it a very fun watch, and I have I have little problems with it in that respect. It does work. It does work as well when you watch it back to back. You watch yeah. the, the thing prequel, and then John Carpenter's does the thing. I haven't done that, yeah. but I, I I'm going to now that you said that. Um, the Descent. The original one is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. I love it. I watch it every couple of years. I just watched it six months, a year ago. Um, I really just, I think that movie is brilliant. I think it's amazing. Um, I showed it to my wife because I thought she would enjoy it. And I'm usually pretty good at movies that she likes and she did not care for. It was a little too gory for her. And I had forgotten quite how gory it was. And if I had really remembered, I probably wouldn't have showed it to her. But um, but I actually thought Descent 2 is not bad. I liked it better the first time I watched it. When I watched it again recently, it didn't blow me away but i think it's actually an interesting concept for a remake the way they sort of go back down there with bringing back the original girl the ones who survived um there's a, a you know the amnesia conceit to get her down there is interesting but then they, the way they follow up and find people's bodies and things like that I, I think it has a couple of really good sequences in it too the hanging from the ceiling bit is really good um you know, I, I, uh, overall, I like it. I don't think it's a great, great film. I don't think it lives up to the first one, but I think it's for not being directed by Neil Marshall. I think it's a, a pretty solid, um, sequel, you know, personally, yeah, so it, it wasn't necessary, but I think it's a perfectly good sequel. So yeah, I remember um, I, I could do the, it's been a while since I've seen the sequel to be honest, but I remember my favorite time watching the descent was I put it on, I was watching it with my friend Pete and uh, I'm friends with what the guy, uh, Leslie Simpson, he plays one of the, the main creature in The Descent. He was also in Dog Soldiers. Right. And so I was watching it, and I think I, I I messaged him on Facebook saying, what was it like on this bit? Like that. And then on uh, the thread on the Liver Films thread where I started this, Leslie Simpson started doing a bit of a Q&A, uh, uh -huh. &A while right. watching it, which was really interesting, talking behind the scenes and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So that was good. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, I do, I do like The Descent. It's really, yeah, it is gory, which I always forget. And that ending, the original ending, is a, the original ending a is so much better yeah, than the. Yeah. I actually because I realized that the. I don't remember if I watched it on Blu-ray on streaming. Um, it didn't. It only had the American ending, which takes out the the good part. Um, so I actually had to go on YouTube and show my wife the original ending while we were watching, just because I was like, well, if you're gonna see the movie, if you don't <laughs> like it, you still need to know how it really ends, the better ending, you know, um, even if it's more bleak. But you know, and also you have to undo that ending in order for the second film to work. But yeah, yeah. Um, but I do agree that yes, I would like to see them try and improve on bad films which have potential potential instead of yeah, feeding off the There's, there's so many bad horror films out there. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of them have great concepts. So it's like yeah. you could certainly play with some of these and 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 you know, take some of these lesser known ones and, and still have some following and see if you can get a little bit of an audience to them. So definitely. All right. Well, that I think is a good place to wrap it up. Thank you for the comment, Richard. That was a good, uh, gave us a good extra five minutes of talking points there. But um, <laughs> so the basically the gist is horror remakes, yay or nay? Um, yay, Just, nay. Yeah. <laughs> it really depends. It's kind yeah. of our answer, right? Just do a guess, good script. Yeah. Good script, I guess story. the good ones, yay. The bad ones, nay. It's pretty yeah. much how, how we boil it down. Yeah, uh, and Dog Richard, Soldiers, Richard. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah, me. It's absolutely a brilliant film. Dog Soldiers is a highly underrated and underseen. Not underrated because I think everyone who's seen it likes it. Yeah. If you've never tracked down Dog Soldiers and you like horror movies, uh, it's it's in my opinion the best werewolf movie ever made. Um, and I absolutely love it. So anybody who hasn't seen Dog Soldiers, check it out. It's brilliant. Yes. All right. So that wraps up our lovely Valentine's Day themed talk about bloody horror movies. Uh, perfect. Um, perfect. Lots yeah, of these horror films do involve love, twisted kind of love, but they true. Often... And some people see love as a horror story of types, right? If you're one of the, if you're a more a more cynical type, so I guess that that could have some tie in there, right? We're still on brand. We're still on brand, Mike. 
we are still on brand exactly uh, all right that's going to bring us to our our top five list and so this week we are not doing a a classic top five we are doing one of our kind of newer semi-regular features which is the top five so the last five movies we watch wherein phil and i share the last five movies we've watched and what we thought of them this is not just new movies it's old movies new movies it's basically the exact five last movies we watched um and it does give us a chance like i said a lot of times when we're doing our after the endings we can't do movies with sequels and things like that we've already kind of done our top tens for all of the hundred years of hollywood and some of these films kind of fall outside the top 10 so these are films that a lot of times you know they, they weren't depends on what we were watching i guess but some like yeah. mine for example i have three films in my last five that are movies we I don't think we've ever mentioned on the show. I don't think we ever would mention on the show. They weren't popular enough to give them after the endings and they weren't good enough to make my top tens, but they're interesting enough to talk about. So why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. That's so, what it's, that's what I like about this one is when, depending on when we've done it, it can be anything. It's, it could be right. films we've seen before. It could be all films we haven't seen before. Yep. So yeah, exactly. I do like this. Yeah, me too. Um, although I will say, spoiler: four of my five are films I've seen before. So clearly, I've been, I've been. Well, yeah, I'll three, tell you about three that. of my five I've seen before. Okay. Well, why don't you you kick us off there, Phil, and give us your, I guess number five. I like to call them by numbers. I know you do it differently, but give us your number five. Yep, number five is Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, mm. nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. Uh, what's the director's cut of this one? Uh, nice. It's a good it was, cut. Uh, the other Sunday, I was looking through my Blu-rays and thought, oh no, I'll I'll watch that, and it was, I I. I love it. I mean, I do a big fan of Star Trek anyway, but Star Trek Two is often widely regarded as the best one of the Star Trek films, and it it still it still holds up. The effects are brilliant. I really like it because also because it's you got the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films, which are quite I, you know I enjoyed watching the first one in particular, but it's all they're all like all oh, the fast run, we've got to run everywhere, we've got to shout, da, 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 da. we've got to shoot, blast, 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 Beastie Boys. Uh, right. But uh, Star Trek Two again, it put me in the mind. It's 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 all great character moments. It's all them being clever, using the knowledge they have as of you know the experience they have when when you've got Kirk, he's talking, he's trying to he's just he's making Khan, who's been out of the loop for so long. He just goes, Okay, yeah, we're gonna send over that information, we're gonna do that, we're gonna do that. And he's going, Okay, what's the uh, what's the the number of the ship, blah, blah, blah. And that's going on. And he sends the command to drop the shields on Khan's ship and boom and do all that stuff. I love seeing that way they're in character and they're using the that what they know and it's there's always the misconception by many people that, that Kirk is this gung-ho get in there blast everything but he's he's a clever captain he's a good character and it's just I enjoyed the hell out of watching it again so many good moments good character beats great scenes Khan is a brilliant bad guy uh, you can see the difference between him and the similarities but it's it's just it's good it's a good story told very well with and the effects still hold up because lots of them are practical and it's just beautiful model work. And then you've got the brilliant ending, which sets up for Star Trek three. Yeah. yeah. That was my number five. That's a good one for sure. I, I love Star Trek two. Obviously we, we all know I'm a big Star Trek fan. Star Trek two is one of the best. I do like the director's cut. It's not a massively different film. I just like it adds in some character beats that I think yeah. are really good. Um, and I will, I will maintain that, you know, the ending scene, spoiler alert, but the movie's 30 something years old. Uh, 40 years old almost no 40 yeah um this year um the ending scene where spock is dying i think is still one of the greatest moments in the entire star trek franchise and i think it first of all makes me cry every time but yeah, i think yeah, that I everybody who likes to make fun of william shatner's acting and everything and i get it he you know he's very he's got his thing and everything but like you watch that scene man his performance is gut-wrenching in that scene i think it's brilliant so yeah 
Uh, it's so moving. I think that last scene. It's 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 phenomenal. So a good yeah. representation of like friendship. Absolutely, friendship. absolutely, a hundred percent. So good. All right, nice choice. I like it. Thank you. Uh, my number five is from two thousand and one. I think I did not write down what year it was from. Uh, it is Imposter, starring uh, Gary Sinise and Madeline Stowe and Vincent D'Onofrio and Mackay Pfeiffer. Um, so this was a movie that did not do well at the box office at all. Um, it was originally supposed to be part of an anthology. Like it was, a, it was supposed to be like a, a segment of like a movie that had like a three different science fiction stories. And then I guess they liked it or something enough that they decided to go ahead and make it um, a full length feature film. And I remember all I remembered about it was I was really excited to see it. And I really thought it was terrible. That's all I remembered about it. Um, but I've been enjoying kind of revisiting movies that I've only seen once that are 20 years, 20 to 30 years older, like the, the 80s, 90s, 2000s movies that I only saw once when they came out. And that's it. I've been revisiting a lot of those in recent years um, or in recent months. And um, I have to say, I actually enjoyed Imposter a lot more than I did the first time. It's not okay. a great film. Like I am not saying like go rush out and see Imposter. It's an interesting film though. I, I like it. It does some neat stuff. It's um, Gary Sinise plays like it's the future and earth is besieged by aliens who are trying to kill us all. And Gary yeah. Sinise plays a director of some security thing and they capture him and say like the other humans capture him and say like, Hey, you're not a human. You're actually an alien imposter and you have a bomb inside of you trying to kill our chancellor. And then he goes on the run. And I definitely have a weakness for on the run movies. That's a genre I love. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it's 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 a fun on the run movie. It's got some some neat sci-fi concepts. It does have a cool ending that I like. Um, and Vincent D'Onofrio is just great. He's kind of like he's playing like the 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 you know stop it no stop at nothing you know all costs um, kind of police guy who's chasing him. But he brings such a kind of smarminess to the role, but in a way that's like not. It doesn't make you want to hate him. It just sort of makes you like, he, I don't know. There's something very enjoyable about watching him. Uh, He's a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Imposter. It was, like I said, it's, it's, it's not a great movie. Um, it's on one of the streaming services. I forget which one, but it's sort of one of those, like it's late at night. You don't have anything else you want to watch. You want to kill 90 minutes and you don't want to think too much, but you want to have a little bit of fun. It's that kind of movie, you know, definitely it's good for that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. I'd forgotten all about that film. I couldn't remember what it was when you, you mentioned it, but I've just looked it up. Yeah. And I, I did see it at the time. Yeah. It's based on a Philip K. Dick short story. Yeah. Right, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Here's here. Let me tell you the really frustrating thing. Okay, I forgot about this. I gotta I gotta share this because I I think it might be on Amazon Prime. Here's what happened. So I watched the movie, and then when it was finished, it was like, "Hey, there's a special feature. Do you want to see what it is?" And I clicked on it, and the special feature is the director's cut of the movie. Okay. Which I then went online to look up, and all accounts, the director's cut is the much better cut of the film, apparently. Oh. But since I had just watched it, I didn't want to watch it again, right? Just to see the differences. Um, but from what I read, it's about, uh, I think, six or eight minutes longer, but it's more of an R rated cut. Um, and I got the impression it's a little bit um, Blade Runner y in that way, and that it's got a little bit more of a harder edge to it with the R cut. So now I kind of want to watch it, but I'm like, but I just watched the movie. I don't need to watch it again. <laughs> for six minutes extra footage it wasn't that good of a movie you yeah know? so if you're gonna watch it on streaming i think amazon prime click around a bit and see if you can find the director's cut because apparently it's on there you may have to like fast forward or something i don't know but yeah that annoyed the crap out of me <laughs> okay well, that's good uh yeah we're not totally forgotten about well the way you describe that way sometimes you want to watch a film you know just 90 minutes a bit of action a bit of this and that mm -hmm. my fourth film 
was uh, the one from 2020 last year, Underwater, which kind of fits that. Which right, I think right. at the time it didn't it didn't do very well. So this no. is one of those Kristen Stewart and Vincent Castle, Jessica mm -hmm. Hanwick, who are working on a deep sea oil rig at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Uh, and I like the concept. It reminded me a bit of the Abyss and Aliens from the trailers and things like that. And it is very much like that. But mm -hmm. uh, I I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I, I mentioned it on Twitter and things. And I had loads of comments of people saying, yeah, I really enjoyed that film. It's a great little action film, action horror, thriller kind of thing, sci-fi. But yet it, you're thrown straight in at the action where Kristen Stewart's just in the bathroom on this place and this un underwater drilling rig there's an explosion water starts pouring and she goes running other people come running she's got to close the doors people are stuck there and it just carries on from there and they've got to put on these cool deep sea diving suits like power armor and walk along the bottom of the ocean to get to the next bit and then as you realize this the, the reason why the explosion happened is because there's something down there with them and uh yeah, might be some spoilers coming up in a minute if you haven't seen it from last year, but it's you get the idea anyway. And the poster says something's awoken, so there's a big monster thing like that. But it's it's what you want. It's it's really good, and it, the fact you don't see very much of the creature is because you're deep at the bottom of the ocean and it's very dark there, so that works well. So it's just the lights from the suits and things. But it built the suspense really well. Everybody acted really well. Uh, some, you know, people are going to die, but it's like I quite like the way some of the deaths did happen. Uh, some people sacrificed themselves, some didn't, but it's just great. And then at the end, when you see the big creature, uh, it was amazing. And also reading about it, if you like your Lovecraft, well, there's a little dude uh, Apparently, at Apparently, they'd filmed it, and then he was going, well, we still don't know what the creature is. And they decided to go with the big one with the tentacles. But part of me was wondering, because they do like the whole clovery. What is it, Cloverfield? Yeah. They often try and get films tied into that. This would have been a perfect one to tie into that and would have been really good compared to the Cloverfield Paradox. But anyway, that's by the by. But this one, it's on, I watched it on Amazon. Was it Amazon Prime? I think it was, but it's it's on there. And it's just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like 90 odd minutes of tense. There's bits where I was just going, oh my God, oh my God, what's going to happen? Turn the lights off, watch it. It's really good. Cool. Yeah, you know, um, I saw that movie in the theaters actually last year. Uh, when it came out, or did I see it in theaters? No, I think I did see it in theaters when it came out, um, which is weird because I don't remember going to theaters during the pandemic. So I don't know exactly when it came out. It must have been, I don't know, whatever. At some point, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theaters though, because uh, I took my daughter to go see it. Um, I don't, I mean, yes, I, I I love the concept of it. I like the aliens underwater thing, which is basically what it is. It's aliens and it's underwater. I mean, that's pretty yeah, much yeah. it. Um, I think my biggest problem with it was that the way it is filmed and the way it's shot and put together, I had such a hard time following the action that it was like, and part of it's because they're underwater and they're in suits. And so it's hard to distinguish who's who a lot of times, but it was like, Hey, here's a person. Hey, there's a tentacle. Now they're up here. Now they're down here. Now they're over there. And now the thing is over here. And then there's this and there's that. And you're like, wait, what, how did this person get over? Oh no, that's that person. Well, how did they wait? Didn't they die? Like that was my whole experience watching that film. I had a really hard time following the action, honestly. Um, So, you know, at some point I'll rewatch it and I'm sure I'll probably, if I wait 20 years, I'll rewatch it and be like, this movie's great. Uh, that seems to be my stock and trade. No, I'll give you that. There was one, scene in particular where that for me where there was like they were zipping around because they're getting pulled along by these thin tentacles yeah. and i i just lost track i was going well what's this because all the suits they're using are exactly the same yeah which was yeah it would have been nice a bit of color or something like that because yeah right i'll give and you I that totally get yeah. I, i'm sorry 
because it, yeah, it's just I, I'll give you that because that's there was that one scene in particular, and I could see another few bits where it was just hard to determine who they were. Yeah, yeah. I, I I get why they do that because you know on a rig like that, I'm sure they're all standard uniforms. But I wish they had done something like you said with colors or markings or something to just make it easier to keep track of who was where or who was who and what they were doing or where they were. Because I did find it, you know, like it's it's a, it's a fun movie. I like I didn't hate it or anything. I just I had such a hard time following who was what and where that I was, it, it kind of lost me a little bit along the way. Yeah. So I also have got the feeling it was, because uh, it was the last film of 20th Century Fox before Disney bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got the feeling there was, it kept, that there was, there's a more, more of a film there. I know it's like you like your short films, but I get, I would have liked to see a bit more to it. Cause as I said, right. it's straight into the action. I reckon another 10, 15 minutes at the beginning, just to set up the characters a bit more as well. Yes. Yes. Like, and just to right. just get the concept of how many people were on board. This right. place and the setup, because, because they're walking for like a mile or so to somewhere else. And I'm going, well, how many people were down here? Yeah. And things like this. And where is this compared to that? Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I like that they start like the action, like literally 30 seconds in the movie. But also at the same time, it doesn't give you a chance to really understand the characters or understand the geography of the place or things like that. You know, I, I think it could use a little bit more of that. But I'm glad you yeah. enjoyed it, though. It's not yeah, like I it was bad. I think the director's cut would be good for this one. Yeah, 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 for sure. I agree. Okay. All right. My number four is also from 2001, um, and it is K-Pax, starring starring Jeff Bridges and Kevin Spacey. Um, I've watched a lot of Kevin Spacey films recently for some reason in the last few months, and once again, I will say how mad at him I am because he's just such an incredible actor, and I'm mad that he is a big fat jerk and now he's not making new projects because you know he's kind of on the outs and i wish he wasn't because he's just an incredible actor and i enjoy watching him so much um he was one of my he's been one of my favorite actors for such a long time so it's disheartening to know these things but i have to separate the person from the art yeah uh, k-pax is you know it's 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 you know jeff bridges plays a psychologist type guy psychiatrist uh, um uh, Kevin Spacey plays a guy who claims he's from another planet called K-Pax, and it's basically just about trying to get to the truth and trying to help this guy who may or may not be an alien. Um, it's kind of a drama more than anything, you know, with a hint of sci-fi to it, um, maybe. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything, but it's... Uh, I couldn't... Honestly, I couldn't remember if I... I remember when it came out, I wanted to see it because I thought it had a great trailer. And then when I was flipping through and I saw it on the streaming channels, I was like, did I ever end up seeing that? <laughs> and I honestly couldn't remember if I had seen it or not. And I was about halfway through the movie thinking, oh, I never did watch this. I could have sworn I saw it. Like, I it, I don't know why I wouldn't have seen it at the time, at least like on video or something. Um, and then at a certain point, I started to go, eh, maybe I did see this. But I, <laughs> I really didn't remember much of it at all. Not because it's not a good movie. It's actually a pretty enjoyable film. It's a, it's a kind of a drama. They don't, I'd say it's the kind of drama they don't make anymore. Um, but it's, it's very much of that like nineties, two thousands era where it's sort of is like, you know, it would fit alongside, um, I don't know, rain man or those types of movies that sort of yeah. are like kind of high concept dramas, but they don't really do that much nowadays. Right now it's either like a super serious, epic, big period drama, or it's like some kind of genre movie. This is more just like, you know, it's like, is this guy crazy or is he from another planet? You know? Um, and uh, you know, the performances are great. It's got some good supporting characters. It's an enjoyable film. It's worth watching. Yeah. So I remember watching it when it came out and I enjoyed it. Cause yeah, yeah. the two, two leads are really good. I right. remember enjoying the book as well. It's what it's based on. I think the book had a couple mm-hmm. of sequels as well. If mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's good. Those out yeah. I've seen. not seen that. I think I saw it when it came out. Right. Exactly. It's that kind of film. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, my number three is uh, from 2010 and it is predators. Ah, I love it. 
directed by Nimrod Ansel. Yeah, and I remember I saw this and I was going, I don't remember how this ends. Oh, yeah. And I remember at the time being a little bit disappointed with it because that seemed to be the thing with Predator movies. You just seem to be disappointed with them. Even now, Predator's brilliant. I really like Predator too. don't care what anybody else says. Uh, but I remember I watched it again this week and I loved it. thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. It was great seeing the different characters in it and the way they interacted. And I, I like the whole concept of them being brought to this planet and being hunted. Uh, and this one... God, I wish it was a sequel to Predators because I like the way it ends. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see more of, of what happened with them. I believe there was a comic book sequel, which I've never read. But uh, I really liked it. I hope the new Predator film, when that comes out, Prey, I hope that's good. That's dealing yeah, with uh, so Predator going up against Native Americans, if you weren't aware of that. Because I always like the concept of, you know, we saw at the end of Predator 2 with the, the old gun out. I want to see more Predator movies where they're going up against pirates or ancient Egypt, things like that. Mm-hmm. Or just as I said on social media, Let's have a film which has nothing to do with Predator. It could be romantic comedy or anything. And suddenly there's a Predator halfway through. Do it like that. Because the original Predator, you could have done that. Have no mention of it. I think some of the early trailers might have been like that. It's just the guys going in with the guns, action movie. Then suddenly, boom, Predator. Right. But yeah, totally. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and check it out because it's uh, it was good fun. Totally it's should have done moment. that for my, my shallow howl after the ending. Just had the Predator show up. You know, yeah, well, we could do that going forward now. Every film right. we do, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I may have to do that. Um, I absolutely love Predators, it is hands down the second best Predator film in the franchise, and I think it honestly almost rivals the first one. The first one's just a classic, so it's hard to touch it. But, like, honestly, Predators is an amazing film, it has some of the best action in the entire franchise, you know, um, the the the, the sword fight type scene yeah, and everything. That's really like, good. The cinematography in it is great. The characters are all, you know, cool. Like, it's a good cast. Like, that is just a, an underrated film. Like, if you have never seen Predators, or even if you've only seen it, like, the ones... I watched it a few times because I really love it. And I, I stand by it always, in my opinion, that it is a really, really good um, film. Uh, but if you have any interest in the Predator franchise at all, Predators is utterly fantastic. Absolutely. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that one up. Love that yeah, film. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. But yeah. I, I would have liked a sequel to that. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Yeah. Because it was good as well because it was, I know it was similar to the first film, but also different enough. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty different really when you look well, at it. I just think because it's got, the, it's got like the tough, the tough guys. Right. In the right. Jungle being hunted yeah. yeah. But they did change it. They changed it up a bit where it wasn't. That's the first, yeah, with Predator, Pre- sorry, Predator, Predator 2 and Predators, they did do different things with it each time, yep. which is nice. Yep. Yeah, it's I, you know what a big Predator fan I am. I mean, that's just I love that franchise, um, and uh, it's it's you know that one's definitely my like I said my second favorite of of yeah. them all. It's good stuff. I'm glad I revisited it. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I may have to watch it again now. All right. Um, so my number three is a new film. It's the only new film on my list. Um, it is Last Night in Soho. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Edgar yeah. Wright's uh, horror film that came out at the end of last year. I don't think it did terribly well, but mostly because no films were doing all that well that weren't like huge blockbusters because of COVID and everything. Um, it's amazing, I have to say. Edgar Wright has really become one of my favorite directors, um, despite one or two huge missteps in his career, which maybe we'll talk about soon. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Last Night in Soho is you know, it's just, it's a, it's this girl. She's a fashion student. She gets a, she's going to school in London. She gets her own flat, uh, starts seeing visions of the past of this swanky chanteuse. Um, and things then start getting darker from there. 
uh, I have to say, I really, first of all, Thomas and McKenzie who plays the main character is amazing. Um, and just utterly carries the film, but it's a, it's a good story has a really neat, you know, resolution, a neat mystery to it. But the visuals in the film, I mean, obviously for Edgar Wright, that's not surprising. The visuals are fantastic. The way he uses the mirrors in the film to sort of show the one character watching the other and the way they sort of interact. You might have seen in the trailer the scene of um, Matt Smith dancing with the girl and it kind of switches from one girl yeah, to yeah. the other. Um, it's it's amazing what he does with all this stuff. And actually, um, if you do watch the movie on home video, there are some, there's a, a making of featurette where they talk about all the, the how much of that stuff was practical. It's really fascinating to see some of the behind the scenes footage. Um, but the the way they use the lighting to signify the different time periods and stuff, it's, it's a, a really, re like, you're going to watch it and get sucked up in the story. But as you're watching it, you'll, you'll just find yourself being like, wow, that was a really cool shot. How did they do that? Uh, and that's my favorite kind of thing. Like you don't watch it for the cinematography, but as you're watching it and, and getting wrapped up in it, you're also noticing like that looks amazing. And that's, that's fantastic. So I really liked it last night in Soho. Um, really terrific. Had a great trailer and, and the soundtrack is phenomenal. It's like a swing in sixties soundtrack, but um, some really great songs. And they are like, characters in the movie like the, whoever curated the music for that movie did an outstanding job it's just one of those films that works on, on every level technical you know performance story everything so highly recommend it excellent yeah it's not not a film i've seen yeah i do want to see it just you'll really like it yeah well funny enough you mentioned the soundtrack my barber was saying a friend of his it's a friend, well, a friend of a friend's story but a friend of his his cousin wrote a wrote a song which uh i think edgar wright had heard and it was it was a it's that kind of vibe. So he asked if he could use it, and it was uh, it is used in the film. I can't remember oh, the name cool. of the song or the guy though, but I quite like the fact there's that little connection. I think yeah. I think it's uh, I think I think Edgar Wright does it like James Gunn. I think he's the one who picks the music and things like that. I, I think he's I believe I believe you're right. I wasn't sure, but I, that sounds like. No, but it, it is a film I want to watch. I've seen some clips about how they made bits of it, so I do I, I do like anything with practical effects. So yeah, I look forward to seeing that. Glad you yeah, enjoyed I think, it. I think it's right up your alley. I think you're really gonna like it. Cool. Okay. Well, my. Number two is a film from 2013. It's called Coherence. It's a yes. sci-fi psychological thriller. It's a very much an independent film about a group of people at a dinner party. There's some bad blood between some of them. They all some know each other, some don't. But there's a comic going overhead. Uh, people's cell phones or mobile phones. You've got me saying cell phone, Mike. Mobile <laughs> phone. Uh, that influence on you. Yeah, uh, it start cracking and things. But then it's, there's a all the power goes off, and then he realizes there's another house with the only other house with lights on is one just a couple of blocks away. Uh, blocks, uh. but uh, they go there, and then they start realizing the similarities. And it's all about well, I won't go into any more. It's one of those ones worth watching without you knowing more more yes. than that. But I really like this. I I really enjoyed it. Although it's very much a talky kind of film. If you watch Primer and enjoy Primer, it's along those lines where it's just lots of people talking, figuring things out for themselves, and. Uh, Reading about how they made it, the many much of it was improvised, and like the writer and the director, they they gave all the actors each day some like uh, you know cards with some some information or lines that they had to get out for those scenes or something that they know, but they didn't know what the other ones would know, so it would then lead into it like that, and so it's it's quite an organic way because sometimes you go in. There's like some funny bits, and you go, "Why on earth would you say that?" And then you realize this, you go, "Because that's what people would say because they haven't got a clue what's going on." Yeah. And it's it's good. It's got the guy, well, played Xander from 
Nicholas oh, Brendan. Nicholas Brendan, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was nice seeing him again, which was good. But I, I really enjoyed it. It's a slow burn kind of thing. Lots of talking. Some people might not like it, but I, I, it was a nice, clever little indie sci-fi thriller. Yeah. Is that your first time seeing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw it back when it came out, actually, and I really liked it. It's a very good film. I, I know what you mean when you say it's like it's kind of talky and slow burn, but it's also, I think, like the intent, the tense the tension kind of ratchets up as the film. Oh yeah, goes. totally. Like, yeah. Cause the first not, few times you're going, what? Right. And then, it's not a slow, boring film. You know, it's, it's quite interesting as it gets going. Um, and it's a neat concept and it's, it's really well done. I think like you said, for being a low budget sci-fi film, uh, I, I like it quite a bit. So yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Very nice. clever. And lots, lots of planning, even though there's lots of improv in there as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you got to keep track of everything. It's, it's, it's cool. Good choice. Good choice. I like it. All right, my number two takes us back again to the old days because apparently, like I said, I've been watching it, uh, movies from back in the days. I don't know what year this is from. Sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was Arlington Road uh, starring Jeff Bridges oh, once wow. again on yeah. my list yeah. and Tim Robbins. Um, just was the kind of movie I was in the mood for. Again, saw it on one of the streaming services. It's a thriller you know, about Jeff Bridges plays a, a professor who teaches classes about like gets into a lot of like terrorism and in, in like homegrown terrorism because his wife died in a ill uh, advised raid like a ruby ridge type of raid or a waco type of raid um she was an fbi agent and so he starts to suspect this next door neighbor tim robbins is actually a terrorist and then things go from there um and uh yeah it's a pretty good film you know it's not amazing um it is a little bit of a slow burn it takes a little while to get going but it's it's interesting both bridge bridge is terrific uh tim robbins is great um you know it it sort of builds and builds it has a pretty good ending um, I think, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those movies. It's, it's good. It's worth watching. It's enjoyable. It's nothing phenomenal. It's not like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to go rewatch Arlington road right now, you know? Um, but it's a good, uh, it's just a good pot boiler, you know? And, um, I, I enjoyed it and, you know, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good film. I've not, I've not even thought about that for a long time. 1999 I was. I think, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I remember watching that and it was when the ending was coming up, I was going, oh no, oh, <laughs> right. No. Right. But it's, uh, it reminds me as well, it's very much along the lines of uh, 1974's The Parallax View, starring Warren yes. Beatty. Yes. Which is an amazing film. But yeah, Arlington Road, yeah. It's, uh, well, Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins. Yeah. Good, uh, good one. But yeah, I have to, might have to watch that one myself as well. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth rewatching. It's like I said, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those put it on, you know, when you want, you don't have anything else in mind and just kind of want to, you know, sit through it. It's good. It's good. Okay, cool. My uh, the most recent film I watched then was uh, from two thousand and four, uh, directed, produced, co-written by, and starring Stephen Chow. It is Kung Fu Hustle. Oh wow! Okay, which had just popped up. I think I'd watched Coherence, and I was going, "Well, that was really good." But now I want to watch something silly with a bit of action. Right. And so this was just in one of the lists as we're going through, going, "Oh, I've not seen that in a long time." And I put it on. I enjoyed the hell of it. Out of it, I always have. Uh, it's a bit like it's. Uh, if you're not seeing it, it's 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 just full of. Lots of martial arts, over-the-top characters. It's very much like a comic uh, cartoon kind of vibe going through it. But there's some really good fight scenes, some really funny moments, uh, really funny characters. The bit when he's throwing the knife, oh, I just say it always makes me laugh. And it just gets keeps getting bouncing back and hitting them and things like that. Really enjoyed it. it always, I always surprised by it though how little Stephen Chow is actually in it because mm. he pops up and then other stuff goes on. There's big fights with other bits and then he pops up again. But yeah, I. It's a lot of fun. The The fight scenes are amazing. Uh, if you haven't seen it in a long time, it's worth checking out. And if you haven't seen it at all, 
it's a good fun one to watch. It's just, yeah, makes me laugh. And some of the, the fights, I'm just going, wow, that's brilliant. That's funny because I, I, um, it's not a movie that I've, I've thought about in a long time at all. And somebody mentioned, a friend of mine mentioned it to me maybe six months ago and was very surprised to find out that I had never seen it. I don't know why, though. I don't know if it's one of those movies that everyone has seen. Um, but I've never actually seen Kung Fu Hustle. But apparently I have to because everyone lately seems to be bringing it up again. So I will get on that. Oh, well, let me know what you think of it when you watch it. it is, I will. Yeah. I will. Uh, we have a comment that I definitely want to share here uh, from James Powell. Uh, James says, interesting ending to Arlington Road. I agree. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it is an interesting ending. I think it's a neat ending because it's, you know, it's it takes things unexpected. Um, funnily enough, he says, one of my friends lived on Arlington Road in Leeds, which is a different one oh, than the one no. in the movie. Um, but then he adds, he wasn't a terrorist. Phew. Yeah, so it's just good news. And then he adds just one more. That I know, oh. which is good. You got to qualify these things just in case, you know. Well, that was a roller coaster. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, James. That's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I it's funny because you know I you know I don't know Arlington Road. I think it's, it's a, a good name for a movie. I didn't think of it as being a one that I guess there's a lot of in the world, but I guess there's at least one in Virginia or West Virginia. I think it was in the movie, and one in Leeds. So there you go. Yeah. All right. You know. And I'm glad your friend isn't a terrorist. You know of so. Yeah. All right. My number one. Um, Hit me. Speaking of Edgar Wright, was 2010's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, I have long been in the minority of there's a rabid fan following for this movie. There are people who really, really love Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I did not like it when I saw it in theaters back in 2010. Neither did I. Um, and as I've had some friends very vocal about their fandom of it, I decided, you know, um, I should revisit this movie. You know, maybe I just didn't give it a fair shake the first time around, you know, because that happens sometimes, right? I remember oh, yeah. being a movie that I thought looked really fun. I really was excited to see it. I was let down by watching it. And I've revisited a lot of those movies and found them to be um, very enjoyable in the past. So I was like, you know, I just watched last night from last night in Soho and I'm, I'm in awe of Edgar Wright's visual storytelling skills. So I was like, I'm going to rewatch Scott Pilgrim and I'm going to see if I can be one of the people who love Scott Pilgrim. It's still a largely a garbage movie. Um, it's a, a a wonderful looking film. I love what Edgar Wright did with the visuals of it. I would love to see somebody take that style and make a comic book slash video game movie out of it um, that isn't bad. Um, and I because it's just it's so much fun to look at. It is such a cool looking film on the visual front. Absolutely, a hundred percent a plus. Um, everything else about it though, it it is it just filled with unlikable characters who i hate i don't i can't root for any of them i don't think anybody in the entire film smiles except for knives chow his like high school girlfriend um like it's just a bunch of miserable people being miserable and doing stupid things with that kind of dialogue like in juno that really annoys me because it's just so precious and overdone like the scene where Scott Pilgrim goes to his roommate. Hey, what's the address for Amazon.ca? And his friend goes, Amazon.ca, because they live in Canada, so it's not.com. And I'm like, that's not funny. That's just that's stupid. Like, you're he, Scott Pilgrim is whiny and annoying and dishonest and entitled and obnoxious and just not an interesting human being at all. And the film doesn't earn the character beats that it gets. So like he gets this date with this girl of his dreams. They got on the super awkward date. They have zero chemistry. They have barely any interesting conversation at all. And then before you know it, they're making out like all night because apparently she's now in love with him. 
even though for all of the, the three scenes of the date we saw, she could clearly barely stand him. Like, no, no, no. You have to give me a reason for that to actually happen for me to buy into that. Otherwise, why am I watching this? Like, it's it's just not a good film at all. I don't care for it in any way, shape, or form. Um, well, yeah, except for I, the visuals. It looks great. But yeah, the movie's just, not I, the yeah. Like, well, I, when I first saw it, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, I, I rewatched it a couple of times, and each time I've watched it uh, since... I've in, I've enjoyed it a little bit more, but the main thing is mainly, well, as you said, the visuals. I really uh, just it's just great. I just think what Edgar Wright does with uh, Last Night in Soho, lots of practical effects done in camera, done live with uh, using doubles and things like that. I really like watching it for that reason. See how they did things, and also some of the re the retro uh, video game kind of stuff. But I was never a fan of the comic book anyway. Right. So I think that's the big thing as well. But I I totally agree with you. With its, yeah, he's not the central character. Isn't uh, isn't very good, but the actual way it's made, where it's edited, put together with the visuals, I like it for that reason. But it's never a film where I go, oh, I want to watch that. But as it's, I've enjoyed it each time I've watched it. So maybe if I watch it a few more times, I might go, something yeah. might click. But on the whole, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm happy I gave it a second shot because at least I can have a, a, a you know, like a, a well-educated opinion as to why I don't like it. Um, but I, I really don't. I just, like I said, I, I, it's, it's such a weird dichotomy though. Cause I love the visual look of it. I just think it's amazing the way he, he did it with the film. I just wish I liked anybody in the film at all. I, every character pretty much is either. I hate them or I'm completely indifferent, toward, indifferent towards them. There's like not a single likable character in that entire movie. Um, so yeah, it's it's largely garbage. Um, we have a few comments coming through. Uh, Richard Brown has a comment for James Powell, uh, who was talking <laughs> about his friend who lives on Arlington Road, saying a domestic terrorist from Leeds would be a different prospect to the Arlington Road. And then Four Lions question mark Four Lions, of course, a well liked, critically acclaimed film that had to do with homegrown terrorists. Um, and then. Richard also says, there's a modest sci-fi vibe to your lists. Not surprising. It's one of our favorite genres. I'd love to hear your top five Philip K. Dick-based films. That's a good list. Yeah, we I've, think about that for a future I've episode. put that on my, the top five lists. To do. Yeah. That's a very good one. Absolutely. I guess there'd be a few crossovers, naturally, but there are so many random B-movies to throw in. And thank you, Mike. I never understood why so many likes got Pilgrim. Thanks, Richard. I'm glad because I don't get it either. However, that said, clearly... James Powell disagrees because James says, I like Scott Pilgrim and editing masterclass. Agreed. Agreed. Visually, cinematography, yes, agree editing, that. fantastic. However, Michael Sarah has the acting range of an overripe banana. Honestly, I think that's giving him a little more credit than I would. Um, he, he just plays Michael Sarah. I, I, I just don't. There's money in the banana stand though. Yeah. I don't um, I don't mind him in supporting parts. Like I don't hate Michael Sarah or anything, but try to watch a whole movie of him. And it's him playing like his like wimpiest, like sappiest, uh, whiniest self like is super grating. Um, and just by the end of that movie, I was like, could we stop with the close ups of Michael Sarah? Because his face is actually bothering me now. Like it's literally agitating me to see his face and his teeth and his little half smile. Um, so, yeah. So uh, I'm Michael, glad you like it, James. Yeah, Michael, Mike. if you are watching this video, uh, you know, you're good. We believe you're a good bloke, but that's just the way it comes across on film. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Michael Sarah is a great guy. I, I like him in Arrested Development and uh, what's that one? This is the end because he's playing like an exaggerated version of himself and this is the end yeah. where he's obnoxious and it's over the top. Really, all he does is play himself or an exaggerated version of himself, really. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then James says four lines. I did not care for, which I was surprised at as I like Chris Morris. I saw four lines, but honestly, I, I don't really remember. I think I thought it was a little slow, but honestly, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't have a strong opinion about it. Hmm. Yeah, I, saw I think that. I would say, I don't know. I don't know how it did over in the UK. I can say in America, it was definitely like an art house release. I think very few people here actually have even seen that film. I just love to see Chris Morris do more day to day. It mm. was a good show. Sure. I don't actually know what you're talking about. That's yeah, it was a good. It was a spoof news. It was a spoof news show from the nineties. Ah, really, right. it really did it well. Though it was many of the news thing, many of the things they did then, you've seen come to pass on our various news things in the social yeah, media yeah, world and things. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Okay, well there you go. That is the last five movies we watched. Next yeah. episode we'll be back with a, with a traditional top five list, but these are always fun to check in with from time to time uh, and, and talk about, like I said, some movies we don't usually get to talk about. So uh, there we go. All right. So next up then, our last segment for the show is going to be ATE Recommends. What are we digging on right now? What are we enjoying? What are things we would recommend for you that you might enjoy? That's what we're going to talk about. Yes. Do you want me to go first, Bill? Do you want to go first? What's uh, yeah? Do you want to go first? I will happily. All right. Let me go into solo view real quick for those of okay. people watching, because that way we can see the things we are sharing a little bit better. Uh, I have one recommendation this week. Um, it's not brand new. It's been out for a little while. I think it came out last year. Um, it's The Last Days of John Lennon by James Patterson. Yes, that James Patterson, the worldwide best-selling thriller author. Author. To be fair, it's James Patterson with not one, but two co-authors, Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. Um, but I was, it's a really great book. Um, so ostensibly it's about his murder by Mark David Chapman. Um, really what it is, is kind of a history of, it's a biography of the Beatles and of John Lennon in his post Beatles years and Mark David Chapman sort of, and what led to him killing John Lennon um, and how that all went down. So what's interesting is like the first, you know, half of the book is stuff that we mostly know it's the Beatles and you know, their days in Hamburg and how they formed and all that stuff. But what's interesting, he doesn't belabor. It's not a super thick book and like 30 pages of that is, is annotations. Um, you know, he kind of goes like a chapter, a chapter covers a couple months in the Beatles. So like you go through their history pretty quickly and it's kind of like um, uses a lot of quotes and a lot of, and there's a fair amount of like, Oh, John thought this and Paul thought that um, based on extrapolation from interviews and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But it moves really well. I, I'm not gonna say it reads like a thriller, but it's a very fast pace. Like if you find biographies boring, which I sometimes can, this is not going to bore you if you're a Beatles fan or a John Lennon fan because it, it moves at a really fast pace. But then it gets really interesting and starts talking about his solo years a lot more that I think is a lot less documented than the Beatles. You know, yeah, things like yeah. his Lost Weekend, um, uh, I, like this boat trip he went on where he ended up like piloting a yacht through a storm for like 48 hours by himself because everybody else was sick. And like, we're talking like 30 foot waves, stuff like I'd never heard of. Um, and then you get to hear about Mark David Chapman and sort of his psychoses and, you know, what led him to sort of, you know, what he did to prepare for the murder and, and what his actions were in the days leading up to the murder and stuff. And there's some really, um, Interesting, like you hear, uh, he, he's got quotes in there from like the, the police officers who drove Lennon to the hospital and, you know, like doctors who are in the hospital and things like that. So um, it's really fantastic. If you're a Beatles fan or a Lennon fan, I really can't recommend it highly enough. It's even though, the, like I said, in the beginning, there's stuff you're going to know about, but it's told from a new kind of perspective, I think. Um, yeah. And, you know, there you go. The Last Days of John Lennon by James Patterson. Definitely worth a read and probably coming out in paperback real soon, if not already. Guys, I think it came out in hardcover um 
last year by last year i mean like 2020 not 2020 okay so. yeah yeah so that's my recommendation okay well i've got a couple all right hang on a second let me change the view okay uh yep. mine are both right. books different kind of books okay. that's all right first Take one a, is a graphic novel or collection of uh of this it's a geiger mm -hmm. by jeff johns gary frank and brad anderson it's all set after nuclear war which has devastated america there's a but different factions have set up in Las Vegas and different places. But there's this man, uh, the mysterious glowing man, who it's uh, who has been spotted, who can survive without a suit in the in the radiation-filled wasteland. But it's just, it's a real fun story, uh, action-packed, but dark in places. It's full of crazy characters. It's got beautiful artwork by Gary Frank. Uh, some just loads of great ideas, great concepts. Uh, it's, it seems to be setting up a new a shared universe as well, because I think the next series might focus on some of the characters who are mentioned uh, in passing. But uh, I really like the main character and his reason for going on and the various bits. It's hard to get the full idea of it, but it's... Uh, I mean, look at that. It's great. Lots of cool cool moments, but that's Geiger. So it's... Uh, I think it's the first time the issues, is it? Uh, six Perfect. issues... So that's, uh, that's worth checking out from Image Comics. And the other one was a Kickstarter, which came through for fans of Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. It's the One Ring role-playing oh. in the world of the Lord of the Rings. It's a ah. new version of role-playing game there. I also got the the start box starter set, which is up there, which comes with pre-made characters and some small adventures to get you going. And this, it's got the slimmed-down rules and things in there. So all you need to play is, is that box to do that. But I backed it on Kickstarter. It's from Free League Publishing. Hmm. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, let's just have a quick. And it's an look. actual role playing game. It's not a, a book about role playing games. No, right? it's an actual role playing game. That's All the rules. Picture. It's got lots of maps. The starter set as well has got the big open up maps of Middle Earth and the Shire. But it's it's just beautiful. It's just got all the Tolkien illustration around all the pages and things like that. Some got lovely artwork throughout, and it's all. Lots of little snippets written by, wow. you know, letters from Gandalf and things like that. Oh, cool. The rule system is a bit different from D&D &D 5e, although it uses some of the same dice, but it's it's a real nice, clean system. I've not had a chance to play it yet because it only came this week, <laughs> last week, sorry. But it's if you're a fan of Tolkien, the Halflings, and Middle Earth, it's just worth checking out. It's just, I've just been going through it slowly. I'm hoping at some point I'll get a chance to play it, but it's if you're a fan of that and role-playing games... It should be available on the Free League publishing website. I think it's available now. But uh, it just yeah got delivered. But that's uh, they're my two recommendations. All right, very good. Well, I have not experienced the role playing game, so I can't comment on that. But I do I do enjoy Geiger quite a bit. Great artwork by Gary Frank. Cool story. Um, that's a that's a good book. I enjoy that. Um, and we have a recommendation from one of our viewers. James recommends Friedkin Uncut. Um, it's on the free streamer Tubi. I have that app. Uh, great two hour documentary with a lot of talking heads action with the man himself being William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist and many other films, uh, going through his oeuvre. And then I don't understand this next reference, but that's okay. Garth Marenghi. Garth Marenghi, yeah, it's a, it was a spoof. Kind of, I get the reference. It's a very good reference. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Sure. Um, now I feel bad that I don't get it, but uh, uh, of work. And, and he is his usual unedited self. Wes Anderson, eh, Willem Dafoe, and others give their insight as well. Utterly superb for pure fun, trash, and a good time. Vinegar. Oh, separate thought now for pure fun trash and a good time vinegar syndrome's release of new york ninja is the recommendations which i have not seen that one but i have heard of it so 
Very cool. Thank you for sharing those, James. Appreciate yeah, it. I made a to both of them. Definitely have to check out that uh, freaking documentary. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Garth Marenghi is a character in a show called Dark Place, which is a spoof kind of uh, horror show from the 70s, even though uh, it's made now. And it stars Matt Berry and a few other people, uh, Richard Iodi and, and others. It had, I think, about six episodes, but gotcha. I, uh, I really like that. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. Weirdly, though, when I pictured Garth Marenghi in my head, he looked a lot like Richard Iodi, so um, that's weird. But anyway, <laughs> that is weird. all right. Well, that was uh, that was an episode. <laughs> Hopefully, it was. we spoke about a film. Yeah, we uh, spoke about films. films actually. Yeah. So, uh, but that is going to start to wrap us up. Uh, so, as always, listen. We're glad you guys came. If you're watching live, thanks for your comments, everybody. Uh, for those of you who are watching or listening after the fact, feel free to leave your comments as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. Phil, any parting thoughts? Uh, thank you to uh, Richard and James for the conversation and for the ideas for top five things and and the recommendations. It's always good to hear from uh, viewers and listeners. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode with a brand new After the Ending, a new top five list and various other topics. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for listening. As always, we greatly appreciate it. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the Ending.